Good morning. If you're wondering who chose the uh, uplifting text that we just read on the 4th of July, you're looking at him. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, no, actually, the, 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 the passage feels a little heavy because it is a little heavy, and yet there's, there's something in this text that's going to introduce us to a hope that I think we in this moment, not just culturally, but, but knowing many of you in the room where you're at, that's, that it's going to speak to us today. And so that's my hope. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jeff Nine. I'm one of the pastors here. Would love a chance to get to know you. And happy 4th of July. Uh, I am working on a petition to rename it uh, Hamburgers in Hamilton because um, that's what I plan on doing this afternoon. But... Um, I don't know if that's going to pass. That's probably a constitutional amendment, and that's a pretty high bar. So uh, maybe we'll just keep it 4th of July. Happy 4th of July. I hope you have a lot of fun and keep your fingers uh, the rest of the day. Uh, I want to pray for you, and I'm going to ask you to pray for me. And, 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 and guys, when we look at these passages in Scripture, um, it's really easy to come in in a ritual of, of Sunday gathering and just hear, uh, sing a couple songs, hear something, and then go on about our lives. But but I want us to slow down, not because I have something to say to you, but because I think God has something to say to you out of this text. And so I'm going to ask that he would speak to us uh, and that we would hear his voice together. So God, I pray that for my, for my friends in this room, uh, for this family, God, would you speak to us today? Whatever we brought in the room today that maybe nobody else knows we carried in, would you speak to us in the midst of that? We need you, not some cheap tricks or cheap advice. We need you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us, and I pray that you do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This text is heavy because it's pointing us to the fact and the reality that sometimes life can get so loud that it feels like it's impossible to hear anything else. There are, there are times when we go through life in which tragedy hits, and it feels like the rest of the world gets drowned out by the noise of what we just experienced. For some of us, fears and anxiety, for one reason or another, personal or cultural, stir up to the point that they become really loud gongs, ringing really loudly in our ears, and we can't see or hear anything else. Am I, am I alone in this? Don't think so. We've been there, right? We've been in situations in which the cultural upheaval and division that we seem to swim in is just blaring in our ears. Depression can, can be so loud for us, and even our own isolation from others can feel really loud. We'll go through this individually, but we also have just gone through this culturally with, with one of the most um, amped up election cycles many of us have ever experienced, on top of some of the hottest cultural fights we've ever witnessed in the midst of, oh yeah, a global pandemic. And the weight of these pieces collectively build up, and then you add on our individual struggles, and life just feels loud. It's exactly where Elijah found himself in this passage. Life had gotten really loud to the point where it was hard to hear 
anything else. So anytime we're looking at a passage of scripture, it's really important to understand. To understand it in its context, you need to understand both the text before it and the text after it. What is it? What does it fit in the middle of inside of this text? And so what I wanted to do is take just a second, and we're not going to read chapters 17 or 18, or our scripture readers would have gotten really furious at me today. Um, and, and I'm just going to summarize a little bit what's happening because we need to understand the context for the passage we just read to make sense. You see, in 1 Kings 17.1, we meet Elijah. Elijah was a prophet from the Lord. Now, if you're not familiar with Old Testament prophets, these were men that God had raised up to speak on his behalf to rulers and to nations. And Elijah was one of them. Elijah shows up in chapter 17, verse 1, and he confronts Ahab, who was king over Israel at the time. Now, in 1 Kings, it tells us a little bit about each of these different kings. And what it tells us about King Ahab in chapter 16 is that he's one of the nastiest to ever be. He is rejected, the, the, he has rejected Yahweh, has run to Baal worship, and has worshipped all kinds of gods other than the God of Israel, and then went and married a wife, Jezebel, from a neighboring nation, and she brought in the idolatry from that nation, and they had, as collectively as a nation, turned their back on God. And what, jo- what, what, what Elijah says to Ahab is, the Lord sees, and the Lord's going to respond by bringing a drought, and it will not rain until I say a word. And then he just walks off. Like, mic drop, walk off. Well, that wasn't a big deal until all of a sudden what he said happened. <laughs> there was no rain. At that point, Ahab puts a, puts a mark on his uh, head. Uh, he's a wanted man. He goes, go find him and kill him because this is not cool. The Lord withheld rain from this nation for years. Now, in, the inner, in, in this time, the Lord took care of Elijah. And you can go read it in chapters 17 and 18 of 1 Kings. Miraculously. He miraculously feeds Elijah with ravens from the air and a brook. But then when the, the brook where he would drink would dries up, the Lord brings him to this house of a widow and her son and cares for them all there and protects them through this tragedy. And then, at the end of three years, or about three years, Elijah comes back to Ahab. Now, Ahab's been searching for him, ready to kill him, right? For a really long time. Elijah walks in and he goes, hey, Ahab, I'm back. And I think it's time we have a conversation. He says that what the nation of Israel has done is worshipped Baal as God and given lip service to the God of Israel. But he says, today you're going to decide, are you going to follow Baal? Yahweh, if he's real, follow him. If Baal's real, follow him. But today we're going to figure out who's real. So he says, I want you to call all the prophets of Baal from the nation and meet me on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel was just outside of Jezreel. They gather there with 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah creates this little showdown. It'd be a little bit like WWF SmackDown, Friday Night SmackDown. I mean, except for even bigger and better. And so uh, he, he tells the prophets of Baal, hey, you get a bull and I get a bull. And you get some wood, and I get some wood, and we're going to set this up as a sacrifice, and then we're going to ask God to bring down fire to consume the sacrifice. And whoever brings down fire is the real God. And they're like, sounds fair, let's do it. So the Baal uh, priests uh, carve up the bull, put him on the wood, and they just go into a frenzy for hours, calling on Baal to bring down fire. And guess what? No fire. No fire. 
And, and Elijah's having fun. Elijah's on the, back, on, the, on the side, and he's like looking over, peeking at him, going, hey, hey, I think you need to yell a little louder. I, I mean, no joke, like read the text. At, at one point he goes, I think he's in the bathroom. You just got to yell a little louder. They're cutting themselves. They're doing all kinds of frenzied activity, religious activities, trying to curry up favor so that Baal will bring down fire. And after hours, finally, Elijah says, your time's over. So Elijah sets up, does the same thing, has the, the, the bull on the wood, but instead he digs a trench and he says, hey, in the midst of this drought, I want you to pull 12 12 jars full of the most precious commodity in our country, water, and dump it over the sacrifice. And so he does that. And so he douses this sacrifice to make it even harder to light on fire to the point where the trench is full of water. And all these thirsty people are sitting there looking at what he just did with this water. And then he prays and God drops fire. And not only does God consume the sacrifice and the wood, it licks up the water out of the trench. Guess who just got the big belt on SmackDown night? Yahweh showed up, didn't he? Hey, in the midst of this, life had gotten really loud. Life was really hard. Elijah had a ton of opposition, but now he's on top of the mountain watching what God just did. And what does he expect? He expects that now Israel is finally going to worship Yahweh. They're going to repent. They're probably going to throw out Ahab and Jezebel. And we're going to have, we're going to have a, a, a nation following Yahweh again. That's what he thinks at this moment. So what he does is he runs back to Jezreel, which is the capital of Israel, ready, ready to see all that God's going to do. You see, at this point, the situation in life had gotten really, really loud. The culture wars had gotten really, really loud. The, sur- the suffering and the pain of the, the, the culture had gotten really, really loud. There had been people who had died because of the famine that ensued. It was really, really loud, but God just spoke louder. And Elijah feels like he's on the top of the mountain. Then we get to our text this morning. Look at verse 19, or look at chapter 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. Not exactly what Elijah expected, is it? He gets to Jezreel expecting revival, expecting that after God had blared his presence so loud that all of a sudden everybody's going to worship him as Yahweh, he thinks even Ahab and Jezebel are going to do it, and yet he is still a marked man, and they are still in rebellion worshiping Baal, and he is in utter despair. He had put so much hope it's so much hope on the fact that when it got loud in life, God would ring louder But it seemed that this miracle of God wasn't enough. It goes on to say, 
Then he was, or start back in, in verse 3. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Th- this is the part that you could miss if you're, if you're just kind of glancing over this. What he's saying at this point is, I'm leaving the ministry. I'm leaving my servant behind. I'm actually leaving the ministry. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough now, O Lord? Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah expected something big from God, and God showed up, but he also expected it to have impact, and that impact did not appear to be there. And at this point, Elijah said, I got no other hope. I got, I got nothing else to offer. So he leaves his servant in Beersheba, which is a way of saying, I'm leaving the ministry. And then he goes and he hides out under a tree. He goes, God, you might as well kill me. Because clearly you didn't show up loud enough and you don't have my back. So I'm out. You ever been there? You ever been there? You ever found yourself in a situation where life seemed so dark and the, the, the things around you seemed so loud that even if God did something big, it wasn't big enough, and you just say, I'm done? I have. I've been in situations where I thought, in the, in the loudness of all, the, all that surrounds me, all I need is for God to speak louder. And when the, 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 the suffering continues, when the, the difficulties continue, we find our heart drive to despair. And from despair, when God doesn't meet us there, into just utter doubt and skepticism. Maybe he's not real. Maybe I missed my calling. Maybe, maybe all these things that I thought God had given me are actually a facade. We find this personally, where we walk through tragedies, either uh, personal health issues or other kinds of struggles are going on in our lives, and we just cry out, how long, oh Lord? For some of us, it's on behalf of family and friends. I've got family and friends, some in this room and some out of this room, that have had deep losses in this season. Deep losses. And there could be a point, be this situation of like, Lord, when are you going to show up? How are you going to show up? And we live in a cultural moment in which there are foes and forces fighting against each other, and the whole culture conversation seems so hot, and we're just waiting for something to change, and it doesn't feel like it's changing. And we're wondering when is when are things going to be better. You see, when life gets this loud, it crowds out everything else. And so what Elijah does next, I think will help us because often what what he's about to do is something that we often do. And that is, I want us to look right now at 1 Kings 19, um, verse 4. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. 
And then he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came to him a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Now, this may seem weird. When I talked a while ago about the fact that we need to understand a passage in its immediate context, we also need to understand it in its larger context. Mount Oreb that it's talking about right here is another name for Mount Sinai. If you've spent any time reading in the Old Testament, you'll recognize Mount Sinai from Exodus as the mountain in which God met Israel, formed the nation, and when God showed up on, uh, on Sinai, he showed up in a storm, in an earthquake, and with fire, and he spoke loudly. He spoke loudly. So what Elijah is doing in this moment is everything has gotten so loud around him and God spoke loud, but it didn't make any change. And so at this point in despair, he simply needs God to shout louder, to meet him in wonders, to meet him in the miraculous, to do something to prove that he's actually there. That's what Elijah is doing on Sinai. He says, if God showed up to Moses as a storm and an earthquake and fire, maybe he'll do it again. You see why? Elijah had no other imagination for how God could bring about a change. He only had an imagination that said, when things go bad, God comes in and speaks loudly and fixes everything immediately. He didn't have a context for this for this approach. Elijah wants a loud answer to the loud questions inside of his own soul. I think we feel this way too. See, our cultural idolatries of, of, of our context, 21st century Western Americans, our cultural context may look different, but it is no less idolatrous than that of ancient Israel. Israel ran to the Baals. We run to sense of self. We're going to create our own identities. We run to our own sexual explorations. We craft our own sense of self. We're the boss. We throw out truth, claim my truth, throw out God's design in so many areas, and we just say we're going to fix the world. We're going to do life the way we want to do it. And that That idea, that idolatry infects not just the world, it infects the church. And often what we want is we want God to just show up and prove that his way is the right way. We want God to show up and do something big and miraculous and powerful. And we think that if he speaks loud enough, that's where our hope will be found. And sometimes when God doesn't get loud, we decide we have to get loud on his behalf whether it's sitting down, having a private conversation with a friend. But our whole attitude is not one now of, uh, of actual grace, but it's confrontation and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's harsh. It can, it can take lots of different forms, but, but I'll say that, the, that one of the ways in which this shows up more often is I'm old enough to remember when social media was sharing a picture of my dessert because you weren't there, and I wanted you to see it. And I'm glad you're not here because now I get to eat all of it. <laughs> 
But that was social media, right? Hey, look, we're at the park. Now social media. You're a devil. You disagree with me. Right? Everything is loud. It's all conflict. It's all shout louder than the other person. And it's not just social media. Social media is just one example of our lives. We get so anxious, so uptight, so angry that we want to unleash. We want God to unleash. This brings me to a time in which I just want to share how awesome of a father I am. One daughter's back here, the other's back helping right now. They can attest to this, that there were times when they were not exactly getting along and they were a little loud, and I came in to try to quiet them. You know how I quieted them? By yelling louder! I didn't want them to speak this loud, so I spoke louder so they would quiet down. Didn't work, by the way. Don't try it. I had to repent many times to them for that. (laughs) But isn't that kind of like the way that we respond? Tragedy hits, and we just feel anxious, and we just want to shout. We just want to scream. Conflict happens, and I just want to scream. And I'm begging God to yell loudly on my behalf. We put our hope in the wrong things. You see, Elijah goes to meet God on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, and he does, in fact, meet God. It just didn't look the way he thought it was going to look. So I want us to look right now at verse 9. 1 Kings 19, verse 9. And there he, Elijah, came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Listen to this. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. This text is fascinating because the very thing that Elijah went to the mountain to experience was God as a storm, as an earthquake, and as fire. And he gets to the top of the mountain and all three things happen. And yet the text tells us that while it's clear that God brought them, there's this sense in which God's very presence to Elijah wasn't found there. It was found in a whisper. It was found in a whisper. You see, sometimes God does show up with a shout. One of my good friends, Reuben, who's one of our elders at Frontline South, was miraculously healed of cancer a couple years ago. He had been diagnosed with cancer. Doctors had had nailed down what treatment needed to look like, and they were working on some more tests. And one Sunday, uh, the elders and the the leaders at Frontline um, South gathered around him and prayed. And they said they just had a sense that the Lord was doing something. 
And that week he goes in to talk to the doctor to figure out what the next step of treatment is. And the doctor said, hey, we just ran a scan and it's not there. That was God shouting. <laughs> that day was actually uh, a friend of ours who at the time was not a Christian. And he said, God, if you're real, would you heal Reuben? And you know what? God did. Sometimes God does come through with a shout. Some of you know my health history, and you know how many times I've prayed for healing, and God's never come through with that kind of a shout. There are moments in life when God shouts and thunders, and there are moments when he meets us in the midst of everything else around us being loud, not with a loud shout, but in a whisper. But when we put our hope in the big, sometimes we miss him in the whisper. You see, Elijah had expectations of God in that moment that God wasn't going to meet. I don't know exactly what Elijah was asking, but, I, but I'm guessing it was something along the lines of, hey, we did a pretty cool thing at Mount Carmel. We just need to do it bigger and make sure the media is there this time. Because God, if you'll go big enough and loud enough, maybe you can quiet everything that's going on in Israel. And we think that if only God, you'll come through loudly in this way. It'll quiet the shouts around us. But look at what God does, starting in verse 13. And when Elijah heard it, heard the whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak, which means he knows he's going out to see God. He's going out into the presence of God. That's what it means when he, he wraps his face in the cloak. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, and here's the exact same question he was asked earlier. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives the exact same answer. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you will appoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Japhath, uh, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. See, this is actually not what Elijah was hoping for. What God ends up saying is, hey, I'm not going to thunder like I did on Carmel. I'm not going to thunder here and show off and display my power and try to just take out the enemies on a, on, on, with one shot. I'm asking you to go and appoint some leaders that aren't even going to lead in these nations and these places for years, even generations to come. It's not what Elijah wanted to hear because this was going to take years to take place. Elijah wanted it now. God, fix it now. Address it now. Conquer the idolatry now. Bring the miracle now. God wasn't going to. God wasn't going to. What he's saying to Elijah 
is I am at work even if you don't see it. Be patient and wait in hope. There are many ways in which our soul doesn't want to hear that, does it? Maybe you're carrying some of those burdens we talked about at the beginning and they've become so loud in your ears you just want it to stop. You just want it to go away. You want God to shout and to make all the other shouting quiet out. You're anxious about things you're carrying in your life or the life of your family and friends. So you're carrying so much social anxiety about what's happening culturally, and I, 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 I'm with you in the sense that the idolatry feels so overwhelming at times. And I just want God to just show up in a miraculous way and shut it all down. But sometimes the Lord comes in a shout, but sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he comes in a whisper. Sometimes he comes in a whisper. See, when he says that he's preserved those in Israel that haven't bowed down to Baal, he's saying, hey, Elijah, there are things happening you're not even aware of. You're not alone. There are many that are still faithful. But then if we look at the people he's supposed to anoint, if you go into 2 Kings, you'll read about Jehu. And Jehu was a better king than Ahab. Not that it was hard because Ahab was really bad. It was really easy to be better than Ahab. But Jehu was, was good but actually just go back and go read that in 2 Kings and you realize he wasn't, he wasn't awesome either. Elisha was a great prophet, but he made some mistakes as well. Ultimately, ultimately what God is not saying to Elisha or Elijah is, hang on, I got a couple of leaders coming up and they're going to change everything. <laughs> He's saying, I'm at work and I'm not stopping. And there's something about even in the promise of Jehu and Elisha that leave us wanting a better priest and a better king. And a couple centuries later, another whisper came. Now granted, in the reality of what it was, it wasn't a whisper. It was a bang. One of the most, one of the most uh, uh, unbelievable, transformative moments happened when God took on human flesh and was born as a baby in Bethlehem. But you know what? Nobody knew about it that night. Nobody knew about it that night. It came as a whisper. A few people stuck away in a barn. Nobody else knew. And for the next 30 years... This man, Jesus, grows up, just a kid in Nazareth, just working a job. Nobody knows, nobody cares. It's a whisper. He steps into ministry, and all of a sudden, like, there's, there's a little bit of regional notoriety around this guy because he's doing some weird stuff and teaching some cool stuff and chasing him around. But the reality is, in the grand scheme of things, in the world's eyes, they didn't know what was going on in Galilee. It was a whisper. Jesus, the God in flesh, goes to a cross that becomes the symbol of Christianity for, for, for thousands of years since. And yet on that day, he was just one of three that were being killed on that hill. There'd been more last week and there'd be more the week to come. It was a whisper. Now what happened was not a whisper. 
but it sounded like a whisper. When God raised Jesus from the dead, even then, it wasn't on the front page of the New York Times or on the the front page of CNN.com. Most of the world still didn't know. And what I think this text is telling us and what I think this gospel understanding, this aspect of Jesus' ministry tells us is that what we think often is the big beats the big. The loud beats the loud. Sometimes what we need to do is we need to hear God in the whisper. We need to hear from him. I'm with you now and here and I'm at work. We all want the shout, but sometimes we need the whisper. So how do we respond to this text? And let me just say, I don't know because I'm right here right now in my own life. The last season has been really loud in a lot of ways, but there's been ways in which my doubts and my skepticism have never, has never been louder. There's a situation, right, or there are, there are situations in my life where my despair and my concern has never felt higher. I have never been so out of my depth on knowing how to lead in this season as a pastor in this church than I've ever felt before. All I want sometimes is for God to show up, do a bunch of miracles, show off, all of UConn get saved, and we go home and take a nap. Sometimes, though, instead, Jesus has simply met me with the whisper. I'm here. And that's what I need. So I don't really fully know how to respond to this. I'm gonna, I, I need the Holy Spirit to teach me in the same way I need the Holy Spirit to teach you. But what I want today to be an invitation to you in is when the anxieties are high, and when the pain is high, and when, when we feel the loud, crushing sound of the world around us, there is one who is present and working, and he often meets us in a whisper. And so all I don't know what to do is say, hey, I want to go like you to the throne of grace and be near to my Father. I want to be near to him. I want to listen to him. I want to listen to what he says. Maybe it's not what I want to hear him say, but I want to hear him speak. And then I want to wait in hope. I don't want to feel anxious and tied up in knots because of all the loudness around me. I want to wait in hope hope because my God hasn't stopped working and yours hasn't either let's pray